Man, it, it was funny because um, I wonder if anybody here knows it. Um, you can feel free to raise your hand and shout it out. But there are three kind of like small sentences that are kind of like the mission of Calvary Chapel Almani, and it's listed on our website. Um, they all start with E. If anybody uh, can can name it, Pastor Henry, you can't participate. Um, there are three that are listed there, kind of like what's the purpose of the church, um, especially what we believe as Calvary Chapel, um, and, and specifically Calvary Chapel Almani. The first is to exalt God, right? It's to bring glory to the Lord. Uh, the second is to evangelize the world, right? That as a church, that's our mission is to go out into the streets and bring them into this building so that they would be here and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the third is to edify the church, that you, the saints here, you guys who are Christians, that you would be built up as you are here. And it was interesting to me um, because what I'm going to teach on today and what my introduction is going to be a little bit on is going to be on uh, the idea of evangelizing the world and then also edifying the church. Those two principles are going to be listed out in what I'm going to talk about today. Um, and so it was interesting to me, we're going to be going through the book of Ephesians today, and I'm looking, I have the Calvary Chapel Word for Today study Bible up here, um, and it, it gives you an intro uh, before the book, before the book of Ephesians, and it says that the theme is the edification of the church, which was funny to me because, again, that's going to be the theme of today, and I hadn't looked at that, and like I haven't looked at that specific theme until like one minute ago before I walked up here. So God is cool. God is great. God knows exactly what he's doing. He's going to show you. Um, and so it was so funny. I just thought I'd share that with you guys because God is so personal. I kept thinking, man, we, we got to make sure we're edifying the church. We got to understand that that's one of the roles of the church that we're built up as Christians. And it was funny looking at the theme of Ephesians. It says right there, the edification of the church. Um, and so, man, I, I think what the Lord has been laying on my heart lately um, has been, I, I really do believe that we are living in an age of the church where we have lost sight of the power that is available to us. I think a lot of Christians are struggling in their walk and they come to church week after week after week and not much happens. That maybe they're struggling, they get what they need when they come and then they go back to living the same life but they're not really strengthened in the Lord. They're not really matured in the Lord. They haven't really hit their stride and they're not really where God wants them to be or maybe had in mind for them to be. A lot of Christians are struggling in weakness. And not to say that I'm perfect in any way because I struggle too, but I think oftentimes we focus so much on our weakness that we forget that there is a great strength available to us through the Holy Spirit. Right? And if you guys have ever, this is kind of just to illustrate it a little bit. If, have you guys ever heard that saying that the church is not a museum for saints? It's a hospital for, yeah, you guys know it, right? It's a very common theme and a common saying that you will hear throughout the church. And I kind of have a love-hate relationship with that saying, that it's not a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners because it's, it is true, right? It is true. We're called to evangelize the world. As I said before, we're called to welcome anybody and everybody who's going to come through those doors because we want to impact impact their lives with the gospel we want to give them jesus christ so that they would have eternal life and it doesn't matter who walks through those doors i would pray that everybody here would be welcoming to that person of, of course unless they're a threat right but welcoming to that person loving on them and giving them the love of jesus but at the same time this idea of the church being a hospital for sinners i think it's incomplete Right? Because we're not called to just evangelize the world. We're, we're also called to edify the body, edify the church. 
And I think sometimes Christians have developed that hospital and sick person mentality when it comes to the church. And they think that I'm constantly going to walk in weakness and church is just the place that I go to when I need to feel better. When I, when I need to just get by. And a lot of Christians have developed somewhat of a victim mentality where they're going throughout life and, they, and then they start feeling, woe is me. And so they go to church just to get the band-aid on, just to feel a little bit better. And then eventually what happens is they go to church, they feel better, and then they just go back home and nothing really changes. Right? And so what I would say, yes, the church is a hospital for sinners, but can I get an amen that it is also a training grounds for discipleship? We are called to be built up in the Lord. Not just coming because we're weak, but coming here that once we've been healed of our sins, that the Lord can perfect us into his image. I wrote down this. Any person must first come to the church as he is in all the sickness of his sin. But once he is healed of his sin by Jesus Christ, then his focus must shift onto the perfecting of his faith and being conformed into the image of Christ so that he may continuously walk in God's strength. Amen? We should. We cannot develop a victim mentality as a Christian. We must understand that God offers us a strength, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave. And he offers that to us through his Holy Spirit. But a lot of times we forget that. And we go back to the, oh, boo-hoo, oh, woe is me, right? And I started thinking about it. Could you imagine, right? Think of Superman. This dude's like the greatest superhero in any universe, right? He's the strongest Superman. He's not my favorite, right? But he's he's the strongest, right? Has like super strength, can fly, laser vision, all of those things. Could you imagine when it's time for him to save the day? He's like, oh, I don't know if I could do it. You know, oh, but I don't feel good, right? And you, you start thinking, dude, you're Superman. Like, do you know the power that you have to be able to defeat anybody, right? And a lot of Christians are kind of like that. Oh, but I don't know. Is the Lord going to come through? Oh, I don't know. Can I get through this? And we start developing this victim mentality when you don't realize all the strength that is available to you through Jesus Christ, through leaning on him. Right? We walk in weakness when there's so much power available, just like Superman, if he was scared out of his mind to go and be Superman. Right? And so we're going to go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 6, if you guys can turn there with me. Ephesians chapter 6, and go ahead and give me a thumbs up when you're there. That way I know nobody gets left behind and that everybody is good. That's most of you guys. You guys turned there when I first told you to, huh? Ephesians 6. And so it's really, really cool that we're going to see today how it's possible to draw strength from the Lord and to walk not as a victim but to walk as a victor in Christ, to have victory in your walk and to be strong in the Lord. And so it says this, we're going to go ahead and read the verses starting in verse 10, Ephesians chapter six, verse 10. Everybody looking there? Yep. Amen. Verse 10, it says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, 
having put on the, breast, the, bless, the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with a preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And so we see it right there, just as I told you. God calls us to be strong. He commands us. Paul is exhorting the church of Ephesus to be strong. Right? And what's cool about the book of Ephesians, if you know anything about it, um, you can kind of divide it up into three sections. I would say initially there's two. The first three chapters are basically about the wealth you have in Christ. If you ever want to have your, your socks blown off about how good God is and how much he loves you and how undeserving you are of his goodness, but he gave it to you anyway, read the first three chapters of Ephesians. But then what's cool is that Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on in Ephesians chapter 3 uh, and in Ephesians chapter 4, 5, and 6, and he tells us how to apply the riches that we've gotten right? How to walk as a Christian. And so I've actually heard Pastor Manny describe it as the first three chapters is the wealth of a Christian. The last three chapters is the walk of a Christian. And then the actual last chapter, these last verses that we're going through is the warfare that the Christian faces. And so that's what we're going through. But we see that right before we talk about this warfare, what we see is that Paul exhorts us. He commands us. He gives us the what. He says in verse 10, And 11, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. It's a command. It's a call that God gives us to be strong, to not walk in the victim mentality, to not say, woe is me, but to look to the hills, to the Lord, because that's where our strength comes from. In every situation, whenever you're feeling worried, whenever you're feeling weak, whenever you're feeling like you're tired, look to the Lord for strength. And some of you might be thinking, man, Randy, I'm not that strong. I can't do 10 push-ups anymore even, right? Maybe some of us are there. I've been there before, right? But, or, or maybe you have a real excuse. Maybe you're actually going through a hard time and it is hard for you to be strong lately. It has been tough for you to be there for your family. It has been a struggle to even get up out of bed for some people. Where when I tell you to be strong, you feel like it's a challenge that you just can't get there because of the circumstances that you're in. But if you look closely at verse 10, notice that it says, finally, my brethren, be strong in who? The Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. It doesn't say be strong in yourself. It doesn't say develop strength within yourself as the world likes to preach these days, right? This idea of self-confidence or building yourself up or that you're enough. You're not. That's why the scriptures tell us to be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. He's not asking you to generate anything. He's asking you to be a channel that he pours his strength through. Just to be open, just to be available, just to say, okay, Lord, I want you to give me strength. And one thing we have to understand about God, always carry this with you, always carry this with you, that God's commands are God's enablements. That if he has called you and commanded you to do something, he will give you the strength to be able to do it. 
right? Even in that, even in being strong, if God tells you to be strong, it's because he can make you strong. You might look at your circumstances, you might look at your life and you, you wonder, man, I, don't have, I have no idea how I'm going to get through this. I have no idea what's going to happen. But do you understand that if God has called you to go through it, he can get you through it and he can make you strong in the process. He is mighty and he is powerful to do that. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Rely on him. Stop relying on yourself. Stop trying to plan out A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all the way to Z. Because guess what? You can't see that far into the future. God can. And so we're called to lean on his strength. And understand, this is not for pastors only. Right? Some of us, we think, oh, I got to go to the pastor because he's so strong. Because he's got, you know, he's, he's, he's got it in with the Lord. He's got some pool, you know, he can come, he can pray for me. No, you have direct access to the Lord. That veil was torn from top to bottom. You can be strong in the Lord. And actually, Paul was writing to the church of Ephesus, to the congregants of Ephesus, not the pastors of Ephesus. I think so many people think, oh, I'll leave the being strong in the Lord. I'll leave the living a life of righteousness to the pastors. The Lord calls all of us to. If you read the Bible, he calls you to be strong, but to be strong in his power. Right? But Paul does not stop there. Paul tells us as he goes on, he tells us why we need to be strong. He exhorts us in verse 10 and 11 as to how to be strong and to be strong, but he tells us why we need to be strong in verse 12. And so it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. The reason that we need to be strong in the Lord and strong in the power of his might and not our own is because of the type of warfare that we face. Or you got to understand what you're dealing with. Right? With anything, you can't just go in blind into any fight, into any battle. You have to know your enemy. And we have to understand that with every conflict that we face, with every issue that we have, there are principalities and powers that are coming against us. There are angels that are fighting for us. There is God who is for us. But there are also demons and the devil that come against us. And we have to understand that, that Paul says, you need to be strong in the Lord. Why do I need to be strong in the Lord? Because there's a spiritual root to every conflict that you face. Every issue that you have is spiritual. Always, always hold that in your heart. Always hold that at the top of your mind, because what it will do is that when you remember that every conflict that you face, whether it be in your family, whether it be at work, whether it be in ministry, everything has a spiritual root, then you will understand that, okay, when there's a conflict, I need to bring God in because I am not necessarily able to fight this spiritual battle on my own. Can you punch a demon? No? Anybody ever done here? Right? No, (laughs) you can't. Right? And, and more often than not, you can't see them. Right? More often than not. And so what do we do? We call on the one who can defeat the demons. Because if you go toe-to-toe with the demon, I promise you, you're going to lose 10 out of 10 times. Trying to face a demon or a principality of, of, of dark forces. Right? It's like bringing a knife to a gunfight. Right? You're going to be unsuccessful. It's like bringing a baguette to a gunfight. Like, there's nothing you can do. Right? Literally not even a knife. That's, that's too useful. It's like bringing a, a loaf of bread. Right? What are you going to do? Nothing. 
So you call on your God who can defeat, who is stronger, because greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Right? He is the stronger man that comes into the house and binds the enemy. Not us. And I'll always tell people, man, when the enemy comes knocking on your door, send Jesus to answer it. Right? Because you can't get through that on your own. We don't stand a chance. We can't win by ourselves. You need the strength of the Lord to have any hope at winning these spiritual battles. We can't fight spiritual battles with carnal weapons. We have to rely on the Lord. And so he calls us to be strong. Why? Because there are spiritual battles taking place. And now Paul continues on and he tells us how to tap into that strength. What do we do? What does that look like? What are the things that I need to do in order to be strong in the Lord? Right? We see that in the following verses. So we see, let's, read, let's start at verse 12 again. It says in verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And so he says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand, well, withstand in the evil day, and have, having done all, to stand right and it's interesting because i'm sure this is a very familiar text for a lot of people about putting on the armor of god and paul has given us a command he's told us to be strong in the lord he's given us the why we need to be strong in the lord because there's a spiritual battle that we can't fight ourselves and then he gives us the how it's by putting on the armor of god that we are strengthened and so you might be wondering okay randy how do i put on the armor of god can you go buy it at some church and you go get it somewhere. It's not a literal helmet of salvation that I'm putting on, right? Like you keep it in your nightstand and you wake up, just put it on. No, right? Um, there are some who say maybe you pray it on every day. I think that's a good thing to pray, actually, is to pray that the Lord would help you to wear his armor each and every day. But I think even more so is you kind of live it on, right? Each and every day you do these things, these particular pieces of armor that God lists out in the scriptures. You put those on each and every day, by living according to it. Right? We have to understand that strength, God's strength in particular, is not something just that we wish for. It's something we participate in. It's something that we are actively going after. Right? Because I know we all pray that, oh Lord, give me strength for the day. But are you doing anything to participate in the strength that he offers you? To engage in that? He doesn't stop at that. He doesn't say just be strong. He doesn't say be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. No, he says be strong in the Lord and the power of his might by putting on the armor of God each and every day. By doing that, by living it. And so we continue on into the next verses and we actually see these individual pieces of armor that are representations of things that we should be doing in our life that are going to allow us to be engaged in God's strength, to be filled with God's strength. And there are good, tangible things that we can learn here, that we can apply to our lives. And my prayer is that when you leave today, you would say, wow, like I see things differently now. And that you wouldn't be a victim, but that you would be a victor and you would walk in God's strength. So let's get into it in verse 14. As we get into the first section, it says, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Let's focus on that first part where it says, Having girded your waist with truth. Does anybody know what it means to gird something? It means to wrap yourself with it. So it's kind of right, you'll hear it referenced as the belt of truth. Gird yourself with truth. 
There are some who kind of think the idea is if you're going to gird yourself with truth, it's the idea of surrounding yourself with the word of God, right? Because in John 17, 17, Jesus was praying for his disciples and he said, Lord, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth, right? And there's an element of that is this idea that you should be surrounded with with truth each and every day. You should be saturated in the scriptures. That is the very first thing. It's, it's the foundation. Kind of like how your belt is like the foundation of your outfit or else your pants are going to fall down, right? Like you got to check yourself, right? And you got to make sure that you're there, that you're, that you're suited up and that you're firm in your outfit as you go and getting in the scriptures each and every day, that you're surrounded by it. That's what's going to get you strong. That's what's going to get you on that first step into strength is making sure that you've girded your waist with God's truth. But it's not only that. It's not only being saturated in the scriptures, having scripture in your home, listening to worship, doing all of those things. It's also living in truth. And not just having truth around you, but also having truth with you everywhere that you go by living and being true to the Lord. Right? What I always thought, um, or what's actually interesting is that I, I played high school sports. And in, at least in high school sports, they teach you that when you're defending someone, right? I love basketball, I love playing that. But when you're defending someone, you're not looking at their head, right? You're not because they can get you with the head fake, they can do anything like that, right? But what you're going to do when, you're, when they're running, a, when football, when you're running a route or anything, you're, you're watching their hips, right? Because their hips, it's going to tell you where they're going to go. If I'm going to go this way, you can see that my hips change direction. If I go this way, you can see that my hips change direction. You watch their hips when you're defending someone because the hips will tell you where you are going to go. Right? And in the same way, this idea of wherever you go, whether you're at church, whether you're at home, whether you're at work, you should be true. You should be girded with truth and living with integrity as a Christian. It is so, so vital and important that we do that, that we live a life of integrity as a Christian. Do your, do your coworkers know that you're a Christian? Does your family know that you're a Christian? Right, because here's the thing. We're not called to be perfect, right? We can't be. We're still in this, this fallen body. We still have a sin nature, right? We're not called to be perfect. We're called to be proper. But the scripture specifically says that we are actually called to be blameless, right? Blameless. That somebody can look at your life and they shouldn't be able to find anything that's messed up there or that's, that's hypocritical to something that God would want us to do. You read it in 1 Timothy 3, chapter 2, in Philippians 2, 15, and 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, how God calls us to live lives that are blameless as Christians, right? Because the enemy, we know that he's the accuser, Right? You read that in Revelation, I believe it's chapter 12 in Revelations, where it, it, it labels the devil as the accuser because he's coming and he's going to try to find anything he can to take you down. Don't give him a reason. Right? We're to walk with integrity because the quickest and easiest way that the enemy can take you down is if he gets you to live in sin. If he gets you to compromise. If he gets you to just, just a little here, just a little there, just a little bit of sin. And that is the quickest way that the enemy can get you down. And it is the quickest road, personally, I believe, for a Christian to depression and anxiety is to be living in sin. Because the way that I see it is if you're living a double life, if you're saying that you're a Christian, but you're another person in another place, you're living one foot in, one foot out, you're living a double life, right? I personally think it like tears your spirit in two. Because the worst place that you can be is to pretend to be someone that you're not. 
right? That to, to the world, you're trying to be worldly. To the church, you're trying to be churchy, right? And you're miserable because you can't please everybody. You can't serve two masters, as Jesus said. You have to follow one. And personally, I've been in that. I, I told you before, I grew up in the church, and for a, a good majority while I was in high school, I was pretending to be a Christian, and I was miserable. I would lie to my dad that I, that I was reading my Bible when I wasn't. I know you, youth. I know, I know. I know you guys, because I was you, and I get it. But I'll tell you, the fastest way to be miserable, the fastest way to not be content with your life is to try to live two of them. It will tear your spirit apart. Worried about what the world thinks, worried about what Christians think, you're not going to please everybody. And you're called to protect yourself by living a life that is proper. Gird yourself with truth. Have that truth all around you and that it's going to go with you wherever you go, around your waist. It's always there that you're living a life that is faithful to the Lord. Because it might be tempting to turn back to the world. But I promise you that is the quickest way the enemy is going to take you down. You will never be satisfied living a double life. So we continue on into verse 14. And it says, or sorry, second half of verse 14, it says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And so there's this idea of a breastplate, right? Where it's boom, right on your chest, that main piece of armor that's there. And most people believe it to be that it covers both the front and the back. Right, that you're putting on that big piece that's like, boom, it covers all the vital organs, it covers your heart. It, it's probably one of the most important pieces of the armor. And one of the most vital forms of protection. Right, and it says it's called the, bre- the breastplates of righteousness. Now understand this. Can you wear your own righteousness and be safe? No. We're called to be blameless, called to live lives of integrity to the best that we can. But ultimately, you still need that added layer of protection, which is the breastplate of righteousness. No, the Bible says that our righteousness is like filthy rags. There's nothing that we can do to justify ourselves or to stand righteous before God. But it's this idea of the righteousness covers your vital organs. But it's not this righteousness that you have. It's actually what's called imputed righteousness that God has given you through Jesus Christ. Do we have this understanding that through Jesus, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, everything you've done, past, present, and future, everything bad that, has, that could count against you getting into heaven will no longer count against you. And God will look at you justified, just as if you had never sinned. Right? It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it's speaking of Jesus, it says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Have a solid understanding of the righteousness that has been imputed to you, meaning that it's been given to you at no cost of your own, that Jesus paid the price for you to be righteous. It's positional, imputed righteousness. That when it comes to heaven, when God makes his decision, because you've accepted his son as Lord and Savior, he will look at you and he will let you in. He will see your sins, though they were like scarlet, that they will be washed as white as snow. That's beautiful. To be able to understand that God has given me his righteousness so that I can be with him, that I'm justified. 
And the reason I say that we need to have a solid understanding of our imputed righteousness is because the enemy can come very quickly and try to make you question your salvation. He can come in very quickly and try to make you think that you're not righteous. He can come in very quickly and make you feel like you're unworthy. Spiritual warfare. Sometimes you feel like because you've been living in sin, you can't come to church. This is the first place you should be if you're living in sin. We love you. You should be seeking after the Lord. Sometimes you feel like you're not talented enough so that you can't serve. And so you end up disqualifying yourself before you've even taken a chance. Or you start to feel this feeling of unworthiness, like I'm not righteous, but understand that God has imputed his righteousness to you. It's there. It cannot be taken away. The enemy cannot take away the righteousness that God has given to you. Do you guys remember in John chapter 13 that when Jesus was about to wash his disciples' feet, right, that at first Peter was like, no, 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 Lord, like I would never let you do that, right? But then Jesus goes, okay, Peter, well, if you won't let me wash your feet, you have no part with me. And then Peter ends up telling him, okay, well, don't just wash my feet, then wash all of me. But then Jesus responds and said, I don't need to wash all of you because you're already clean. You just need to wash your feet. And so we still sin every day, right? We do. We fall short each and every day, and we're called to repent and to ask the Lord for forgiveness of our daily sins. But that's this idea of, of these daily sins, right? But when it comes down to it, this imputed righteousness that God has given you, whether you're going to heaven or hell, as long as you're abiding in Jesus Christ, that salvation cannot be taken away from you. Because I know there are many people that when you slip up, you think you got to go to church and get saved again. That's not how it works. God has imputed his righteousness to you. If you are abiding in him, you don't have to come back every time that, that you sin to get saved again, like, like they do in the Catholic church, that you got to confess your sins every time, and then you're clean and you're good. No. That is something that God has given to you as a gift and you wear it as that, that breastplate of righteousness because if not, if the enemy can convince you that you're not saved, man, he, that's like attacking a vital organ. That's basically, he can take you out of heaven and make you walk away. Right? Because the only way that you can, quote unquote, you can't lose your salvation, but you can certainly walk away from it. Right? And if you let the enemy convince you that you don't have salvation, you're already one step down that road. And we have to be very careful. Understand that imputed righteousness cannot be taken away from you. You can only give it away. Hold on to it. Wear that breastplate of righteousness. Understand that it has been imputed to you. Don't give in to the feelings of unworthiness. If the enemy tells you that you're unworthy or that you're not, that you're not righteous, tell him you're right. But I have God's righteousness. I don't need my own. I don't need my own qualifications because God has given me those qualifications to get into heaven, to serve him, to be a child of God. So let's go ahead and let's move on into verse 15. So it says in verse 15, and having shod your feet with a preparation of the gospel of peace. Do you guys know what it means to shod your feet with something? Right, that, that idea of shodding something is actually used um, when talking about the idea of putting hooves on a horse. And you guys know that's a, that's a very binding process, right? It's not something that's going to slip off. It's something that you have firmly planted. And it says right here in that verse, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, wearing shoes 
And it's, what's interesting is that the soldiers back in those days on their, on their uh, shoes, they would have spikes on the bottom, kind of like cleats, right? But so that if something comes against them, is pushing against them, that they have that leverage, they have that grounding so that they can push back. And it's the same concept of like wearing shoes too. You want to have protection for your feet, right? Imagine working in like a car shop or something and you're not wearing boots. Like you're scared of like, man, what if I step on something? What if I step on this, right? You're not confident in, in walking around and being like, okay, I can walk freely. No, you're kind of worried about, okay, what if something happens? But if you have that protection for your feet, then you're good. And that's what the gospel of peace does for our walks with Jesus Christ. You're able to stand your ground and you're able to move forward confidently, knowing that you have the peace of God in your hearts and knowing that he is sovereign over everything. Having the peace of God in your heart. Right? I remember when I was in high school, I think it was, when I was still living with my parents, I, uh, I was walking around and my brothers used to work on their cars a lot, like a lot, a lot in the garage. And I walked barefoot outside just for a second. And I walked in front of the garage, not even in the garage. And a piece of scrap metal about like that big just went straight into my foot. Boom. Nobody was home (laughs) at the time. And so I think it was during the summer or something. Um, Yeah, and I just remember yanking it out of my foot, sweating because of the pain. And you better believe for like the next six months, I never walked anywhere barefoot. And I was always nervous if I ever was barefoot, like constantly looking around. Isn't it crazy how sensitive our feet are? You know that I think, I think I read that there are more sweat glands and sensory receptors per square centimeter in your foot than anywhere else in your body. I learned from Daniel and Steph that your feet are your cooling points, that they're very sensitive so that if you put ice packs on your feet, the rest of you will cool down. Right? Your feet are very, very, very sensitive, right? I mean, who knows what it, like, what it feels like to step on a Lego, right? That hurts, right? That hurts because... Your feet are very, very sensitive. And so it's important that we have that protection. Now, what is that protection? It's the peace of God that rules in your hearts. In Colossians 3.15, it says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let me ask you guys something. Does the peace of God rule in your heart? Does the peace of God have the final say in your heart? Or are you constantly worried about what you might step on? Are you constantly worried about what might happen in your life? The gospel of Jesus Christ should lead to peace. If you read Paul's letters, oftentimes he opens them with grace and peace to you because the grace of God leads to the peace of God. And we have to make the decision that the peace of God is going to rule my heart and my mind. I can't be worried about everything that's going to happen. Because there are some people, unfortunately, that go through this life and they can't move forward because they're paralyzed with fear. There are some people who are so afraid of what might happen, what might happen, not what has happened, what might happen, that they won't do anything, that they're afraid. But if you have that protection, that, that foot protection, you're able to walk confidently. If you have the peace of God ruling in your heart, you're able to walk forward in life confidently. And Jesus said this, Peace I leave with you, and my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. That's John chapter 14, verse 27. 
a lot of us are looking for the peace that the world offers. Because the peace that the world offers, that we can give ourselves, comes from knowing our circumstances. Right? A lot of times, the reason we fear is because we don't have control. Because we want to know what's going to happen if I do this. We want to know what's going to happen if I do that. And if I'm unsure of what's going to happen if I do this, then I'm really afraid to do that thing. Because I don't know. That's because the world's peace is according to knowledge of our circumstances, but the peace of God is according to the knowledge of who Jesus is. Do you understand that the more that you know Jesus, the more confident and trusting you will be with him, the more peace you will have in your heart. But we need to get to know him in our word. We need to get to know him as we pray. You can't trust someone you don't know. I'm sure we're all skeptical people. Good, you should be. Right? Protect your families. Protect yourself. Make sure that you're, that you're vigilant. Right? But with God, you shouldn't be a stranger. You shouldn't be fearful of placing your life in God's hand because if you know his word, you know that he loves you. You know that he cares about you. You know that he has a better plan for your life than you could ever dream of. And there's actually no joy in living the life that you want when God has something else for you. God is calling us to surrender to him. He's calling us to let that peace that he offers us, let that peace rule in our hearts. And you ask me, Randy, how do I get that peace? Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, it says, You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Isaiah 26, verse 3. Keep your mind on the Lord. Trust in the Lord a deep trust where you're at peace even if you don't know what the next step is ahead. Continue to trust in him. When you fully surrender, that's when you can find peace, not when you're kicking against the goads, hurting yourself because you don't trust God. Just let it go. Like Elsa and Frozen. I just let it go. (laughs) That was funny. I just thought of that right now. But man, you guys, there's so much wisdom in that. Have you fully surrendered to the peace of God? Or are you constantly worrying? Are you constantly stressed? Right? And what's cool is actually if we look at this verse, if you look at verse 15, it says, And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. There's this idea of preparing the gospel and sharing it, going forth with that protection on your feet, walking out and sharing the gospel. Another way that you can bring peace into your life is by sharing the gospel. And you, and you ask me, well, Randy, that actually brings me anxiety to share the gospel with people. I don't like doing that. I get scared. Okay, but understand this. How many of you have unsaved loved ones? How many of you have friends and family that need Jesus Christ? Do you know that if you share the gospel with them and they get saved, tell me that won't bring more peace to your life. Tell me that won't bring more peace to your heart. So another way that we can be strengthened in the Lord, believe it or not, is sharing the gospel with those who need it. It is the most encouraging and life-bringing thing to see someone come to the Lord. Oh man, to see someone take that step into eternity, there is nothing better than that. To see your family members step into eternity in that way, to give their lives over to the Lord. And I, I, I choke up every time I think about that because none of my siblings walk with the Lord. And all I want them to know is how much God loves them. And how he has a plan for their life. And I, I think about the joy that I feel that when, when God saves them, when the Lord brings them to him. And I'm sure all of you 
have that heart as well. But guess what? That peace will not come unless you start sharing the gospel with them. Start loving on them. Be a witness to them in every way that you can with your, with your, um, with your conduct and with your communication. Love on them. I remember um, we did a homeless outreach a couple years ago with another young adults group. And um, I think my wife and I weren't even married. We were just dating at the time. Um, but we, we went out together on a homeless outreach. And I'm like 90% certain I had COVID. But I didn't start feeling it until we got there. And like I just started like feeling like kind of off. And I wasn't sure like am I sick? Am I just tired? What's going on? You know, you know that little beginning phase where you're like, oh, maybe it'll be gone by tomorrow. Right now I was feeling that and just... The whole time we were there, the whole time, like, people were arguing, the servants, all of us, like, arguing with each other, mad, like, the, the young adults leader at the other church, like, was, he was all off, I was off, like, everything was off. And I was like, man, Lord, like, what are we doing here? Like, we're going to go do a homeless out, like, everything just felt wrong, right? You know, you guys ever have those days where it just seems like every little thing goes wrong? But we were like, okay, we're going to go anyway. And what's cool is that we actually got the opportunity, um, even though we were with another young adults group from another church, my group came down. Uh, we came to the Valley Mall here in Almani. Um, and I remember we sat down, and I, I saw this group of homeless guys, and um, I sat down with a guy. His name was Ruben. Um, and I'll never forget it. I started sharing with him. Within five minutes, he accepted the Lord. Not even five minutes, probably two. And I remember, like, I didn't do anything. There was nothing that I did. He was telling me he was going through a hard time. I remember I told him, hey man, maybe the Lord's trying to use this stuff to get your attention. I shared him a little bit about what are the things that I've been through and I asked him if he wanted to accept the Lord and he did, right then and there. And even though everything was going wrong, the moment of joy that I had when he accepted the Lord, I was like, man, Lord, this is all worth it. I don't care if I potentially have COVID. I don't care if anything, Lord, this guy is gonna be in heaven. And I remember my wife and I, girlfriend at the time, we went, we went to the gas station with our group and we both got out of the car and we just started weeping because it was a rough day. But we answered the call and God was faithful to honor that and to bring someone into salvation. And there is so much peace in that. There is so much beauty in that in sharing the gospel. So another way that we can be strengthened in the Lord, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace and share it. In Romans chapter 10, verse 15, it's really cool. It says, it says, And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Isn't that a trip that the Bible says that? Isn't it crazy how the Bible, it just, it's the greatest commentary of itself. Shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And then in, in another verse, in another book, it says, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who, who bring glad tidings of good things. Really, really cool. Another way that we can be strengthened in the Lord. Let's move on to verse 16. In verse 16, it says, Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. The shield of faith, absolutely of vital importance. That one thing that you have to defend yourself, and it's this idea of faith. That when those fiery darts come, that you're able to quench them. You're not able to be phased by them. Because the enemy will come. The demons will come. They will try to put thoughts in your mind. They will put you through trials that you never thought you'd face. 
But it's interesting. I don't know why I wrote down faith is like good insurance for a Christian believer. Right? Like, like all state, like you're in good hands. Right? Because you have faith. But do you understand that? That anytime something goes wrong, that's what you fall back on. Boom, faith. Boom, I don't know what's going on, but I trust the Lord. I don't know what's going on, but I know he's sovereign. I don't know what's going on, but I know he's working. That's what faith is. Faith isn't, oh, I'm confident in God because I can see the next few years of my life. Like I've been saying over and over. No, that's, we think we can be confident in our faith when we know everything. Try being confident in your faith when you know nothing. That's when you'll see what your faith is really made of. But faith is that shield that when all that fire comes, all those darts come, that you're able to quench it and be like, nope, I trust in the Lord. Nope, God is good. And understand that this, faith is not a feeling. Faith is a consciousness. Faith is just a simple understanding that I know God is with me and that he is working. It's an understanding. It's not something that you have to feel because it's always true. Do I have to feel that two plus two is four? No, it's just true. And that's the same thing about God is that he is always faithful, always faithful. Because God is faithful, we can have faith in him. Does that make sense? Because God is faithful, we can have faith in him. Second Timothy chapter two, verse 13, it says, if we are faithless, even if we are faithless, it says he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. That literally God can't not be faithful. That he cannot deny himself. God is faithful even if we're not. He is always there. And so we can take comfort in the fact that even there are times, even when there are times that we don't know what's going on, that we are afraid, that we can use that shield of faith, hide behind it, and use it as protection because the Lord is with us. I love something that C.H. Spurgeon said. He says, when you go through a trial, when you go through a trial, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which you lay your head. When you go through a trial, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which you lay your head. Meaning that whatever's going on in your life, you should sleep like a baby knowing that God is in control. And I'm sure some of us wake up in the middle of the night and you guys know what I'm talking about. All those thoughts start going in your mind. What if this? What if that? What? I'm sure because we can get anxious in our hearts and in our minds. Maybe for you it's late at night. Maybe for you it's early in the morning. But I know I've experienced it where for some reason that warfare just starts happening and you can't sleep. You should sleep like a baby knowing that God is in control, that he loves you, that faith is that pillow that you, that you lay your head on and you're able to sleep in confidence and in comfort knowing that God has your back and he's doing a work. Because I'm sure some of us struggle with that. That shield, it's good insurance. It's good to always fall back on. And make sure that you have it. Make sure that you understand that you choose to have faith. You don't feel faith. It's a decision. It's a consciousness. It's an understanding that God has promised us, that he will never leave us nor forsake us. He is always there. If you have a good understanding and you have a strong faith, you will be strong in the Lord. If you trust in him, if you rest in him. And we continue, we move on in verse 17. And it says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. I love that idea of the helmet of salvation. Right? Because the idea is, is you're protecting your head, but you're also protecting your mind. Right? And if you're anything like me, you're an overthinker. I overthink everything. Ask my wife. I overthink about which peanut butter to buy at the store. Like, I'm, 
I got to check like the price per ounce and like, is it healthy? Is it not? And then she's like, wait, is it organic? And I'm like, I don't even think about that. I got Now we got to look at this. I overthink about everything. Right. But if you have an active mind, understand that, man, it should be stilled simply by the fact, like I told you guys, that God is sovereign. And this helmet of salvation means that at the top of your mind and in the back of your mind and in the front of your mind and in the middle of your mind is the idea that heaven should always be there. Heaven should always be at the top of your mind, at the front of your mind, the back of your mind, everywhere. Understand that heaven is your home. That's the idea of the helmet of salvation, that your mind is protected because you understand that no matter what happens, your life is one grain of sand on the shore of eternity one drop of water in the ocean of eternity. That when you get to heaven, I don't think you're going to look back and be lamenting about the things that you went through when you were here on earth. I really don't think so. You will probably actually be glad that anything that happened that was hard, that brought you closer to the Lord and ensured that you stayed close to God so that you end up in heaven, you will be grateful for. Ask anybody who's in heaven now. We were talking about this, this Philippian jailer in the book of Acts who was about to kill himself because an earthquake happened and all the, the prisoners were about to escape. He was about to kill himself. And I told the young adults, imagine, when you see him in heaven, ask him if he was glad that that happened, that he was to the point of killing himself, that he was the point of losing his job. He's in heaven. He's like, yeah, of course I'm glad that happened. Right? So we have to have this eternal perspective, this eternal mindset, and understand this. We should constantly only be worried about what heaven's version of ourselves thinks of this version of ourselves. And what will you be glad about when you get to heaven that you did here on earth? Those are the things that you should be focused on. Not about the things that can go wrong here, because even if things go terribly wrong, if your life is miserable for the rest of your life, which God does not have that plan for you, but even if it is, when you get to heaven, nothing. And that's why Paul himself said, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Romans 8.18 For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That's because Paul always had heaven in his mind. I don't care what I go through here. I'm going to be with the Lord. It doesn't matter. I can trust in him. I think of Paul. Paul was someone who was imprisoned, stoned, basically killed, and brought back to life, shipwrecked, you name it. Paul was persecuted for the Lord in every facet in the worst way that you possibly could. And he said, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. This guy would almost die in a city that was persecuting him, and then the next day go back into that same city to preach the gospel again. Some of us, oh, I woke up, oh, I forgot to put gas in the car. And then you're mad for the rest of the day because maybe it's going to make you late for work, right? And, and I know we have all of these things and we're so angry about this and we're so angry about that. And we let all of these things get to us, but baby, we're going to heaven. What does it matter? Always have heaven on the top of your mind and God will bring you so much peace. Your mind will be protected. You think of Job. In Job chapter 1, he loses everything, his job, his family, his riches, his home, everything. And I'm sure some of us can be fearful of losing stuff like that, where the enemy comes and pokes and prods us about stuff like that. But he did lose all of that. And then in Job chapter 1, verses 20 through 22, it says this, Then Job arose 
tore his robe. This was after he lost everything. Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground, and he worshipped. And he said, Naked I come from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. That's Job chapter 1, verses 20 through 22. That is a man who had heaven on his mind. He wasn't too caught up in the affairs of this life, but he understood what the goal was. That just like Jesus, for the prize, for the goal that was set before him, for the joy that was set before him, he pressed forward to the cross. Because to Jesus, it didn't matter what he had to suffer, what he had to endure, that you would be with him. The only thing that mattered is that you would be with him. And so he endured the cross. That helmet of salvation, it's having heaven on your mind at all times. Letting that bring joy and peace into your life. Paul and Job, those were men that had that helmet of salvation on at all times. Or uh, yeah, that helmet of salvation, constantly thinking of heaven. And so let's get into these last two verses as we close. And so it says, I'm going to read verse 17 again. It says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. What we have in these last two verses is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the Bible. This is what you can use to defend yourself against the wiles of the enemy. But this becomes especially useful when you know it. Right? Any of you here who own a weapon, a knife, a gun, anything, you know that that weapon is better used when you are familiar with it. Right? What can you do if you, you have a gun and you don't even know how to shoot it? Right? You're going to try to defend yourself? You can't. Right? Know your word. This is the sword of the spirit, but you should be expert sword wielders. We all should be expert sword wielders. We should know how to use our word. And the way that you can do that, very simple, challenge yourself to study scripture and to memorize it, right? What's really, really cool, right? And if you guys know, in the book of Acts, let's see if I wrote it down here. I believe it's in Acts chapter four. I don't think I did. Um, but basically, when Paul and Peter were told, don't worry about what you're gonna say when you're before the kings, the Holy Spirit is gonna tell you in that time what to say, right? God can do that with us then in the times that we need the scriptures, the Holy Spirit will bring it exactly as we need it. I've heard this really, really cool analogy of how you interact with scripture and how the Holy Spirit interacts with that scripture and you as well. And it's this idea, right? Let's say you're cooking, right? And, and as you're cooking, you need specific ingredients, right? You need whatever, you need thyme, you need basil, you need all these things as you're cooking. And you have an assistant that's there handing you the ingredient at the exact right time that you need it, right? Because cooking is a time thing, right? You don't want to overcook, you don't want to undercook. But right at the right, right exact time for the exact right purpose, you need that spice, you need that ingredient, you need this, whatever it might be. And let's say you have a helpful assistant who's there handing you those ingredients as you're just there focused cooking right? And your pantry is just stocked with all of these ingredients. So you have every ingredient you could ever need. And the helper just goes and boom, hands them to you, right? It's the same idea in life. When you face that moment of temptation, if you have your pantry full of scriptures, the Holy Spirit's going to go, here you go. And he's going to hand it to you right in the moment that you need it, right in the moment that you're going to speak it. 
And it's amazing. It's probably one of the most surreal experiences that when I'm teaching or that when, you know, when, I'm, when I'm counseling or when I'm doing this, I have no idea what I'm going to say, especially when I'm counseling because you have no idea what someone's going to tell you. And I'm like, man, Lord, I'm thinking, what do I say? And he goes, here you go, use this. Here you go, use that. But if you don't know your Bible, God won't do that. God can't do that. There's nothing there to give. But if you memorize scripture in the right moment, at the right time, boom, the Holy Spirit goes, all right, use that one. All right, use this one. And you're like, whoa, I, hadn't, I haven't even studied that for a few months. I haven't even read that in like a year. But for some reason, it's been embedded in my mind and the Holy Spirit brought it at the right time. That's using the sword of the Spirit, being familiar with your word and being able to use it and wield it at the right time and allowing the Holy Spirit to do that in your life. And lastly, we see that in verse 18, it says just, what's that first word in verse 18? Praying, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And here's the last thing I'll comment. We should be praying. Pastor Manny, the Lord has put it on our heart, on his heart that we should be a praying church, right? And I think a lot of times, um, I've shared this with the young adults and I, I love using this example um, because sometimes we could not be praying because we just have this passive thought where like, man, like, well, why should I pray? Like, the Lord already knows my heart. Like, he knows my thoughts. He knows my situation, right? I think sometimes we can use that as an excuse to not pray. Like, we just become very passive because we're like, oh, well, God knows, you know? I always use this example. That would be like this concept, right? Where my wife knows that I love her, right? My wife knows that I love her. I married her in front of like 200 people. As a matter of fact, I gave her a ring that was worth like, you know, money, and she knows that I love her. She wears that ring each and every day, and it reminds her of that. She knows I declared it publicly. I signed like a contract that said that I would be married to her legally. She knows that I love her, so why should I have to talk to her, right? And everybody goes, oh, Randy, right? The reason I talk to my wife is because I love her, and I want to strengthen my relationship with her, doesn't matter that she knows that I love her. She needs to be reminded of that every day. I want to build my relationship with her. It's the same with the Lord. He knows your thoughts, but he wants to see you come to him and say, hey, Lord, I need help with this. Hey, Lord, thank you for this. Hey, Lord, thank you for that. Hey, Lord, work in this area of my life. That is how you develop strength in your relationship with God, which is what this is all about, putting on the armor of God, strengthening your relationship with the Lord, and he will make you strong so that you're not a victim, but that you are a victor in Jesus Christ. Amen?